Well, Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos, and Chag Sameach to everybody. So how many of you were at our Seder last Saturday night? Woo! Wasn't it an awesome Seder? So a, a big thank you to Nancy, to Melanie, to all those who helped out, to Brett, to Allison for coordinating stuff with all the kids, and to all of you who helped in some way to make that Seder what it was. It was really wonderful. And to also Richie for running sound for us. It was really a wonderful time. Another successful Seder at Beth Amuna. <laughs> So on this last day of Pesach, our Haftarah that was read earlier is from Isaiah 11, a familiar and beautiful Messianic passage that many of us are familiar with. It begins, And there shall come forth a shoot out of the trunk of Yishai, and a branch shall go forth out of its roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not, ju shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither decide from the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the land. Isaiah 11 is universally considered a reference to the Mashiach, to the Messiah. Jesse was the father of David and a direct descendant of Judah. And this narrows the ancestry of Messiah down to Jesse. This understanding that this passage is speaking of Messiah is even found in our liturgy. For example, in a very famous prayer that we pray on Friday nights, Lechadudi, we say, Hit na'ari Arise and shake off the dust of the earth. Put on your splendid clothes, my people. Through the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, draw near to my soul and redeem it. The son of Jesse, as I mentioned, is collectively understood to be a reference to the Mashiach. Art Scroll, in its commentary to the Siddur, says that this passage that I just read is a reference to the Messiah who will be a descendant of David, the son of Jesse. In Siddur Sim Shalom, which is the conservative Siddur, it translates the passage, and Messiah will lead us all soon to rebirth. Now we read here something that's interesting is that in verse 1, referring to this descendant of Jesse, it says, and a branch shall grow forth out of his roots. Now, the rabbis do this whole interesting discussion about why Isaiah uses the word netzer instead of the word semach. Because normally when it talks about a shoot or a branch in reference to the Messiah, normally the word is semach. And this is even the word that Isaiah later uses in chapter 4 in verse 2, where it says, Bayom hahu In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land excellent and splendid for those that are escaped of Israel. Other prophets who use the word branch in reference to Messiah also use this word semach. 
Jeremiah twice uses the word semach for Messiah in 23.5 and 33.15, and Zechariah uses the word semach in chapter 3, verse 8. So again, why does Isaiah use the word netzel? According to Matthew 2.23, the unique reason was to be a sort of reference, a sort of hint to where the Messiah would live. Nazareth, right? Nazareth. And his being from the offspring of Jesse, by saying Netzer, the, the, you know, Matthew kind of says and sort of uses this midrashically that what he's doing is he's kind of giving us a hint of how we would identify who the Messiah would be. The Hebrew word Nazareth, Nazareth in Hebrew, is simply a feminized version of Netzer, as all place names in Hebrew are conjugated in the feminine. And then after introducing this messianic figure, our Haftarah then goes on to further describe acts the Messiah will perform. And twice we read, beginning in verse 10, and it shall come to pass in that day that the root of Yeshai will stand as a sign for the peoples. Unto him shall the nations seek, and his resting place shall be glorious. And again in verse 12 we read, and he will establish a sign for the nations and, will as and assemble the dispersed of Israel and gather together the scattered of Yehuda from the four corners of the earth. These passages highlight two important roles that the Messiah will perform. And the doubling up of their mention is a further emphasis of these tasks. So what are these two roles? The first is that the Messiah will be a sign and a banner for all the peoples of the earth, and they will seek after his Messiah. And then secondly, and obviously, the Messiah will regather the Jewish people from across the earth and lead us back to our land. Here we clearly see the promise of Messiah's fullness for Israel and the nations. This is why Paul, commenting in, uh, he's commenting on Isaiah 11, he writes in Romans 15, For rather, as the Tanakh says, the insults of those insulting you fell on me. For everything written in the past was written to teach us, so that with the encouragement of the Tanakh, we might patiently hold on to our hope. And may God, the source of encouragement and patience, give you the same attitude among yourselves as the Messiah Yeshua had, so that with one accord and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. So welcome each other just as the Messiah has welcomed you into God's glory. And here's where he continues now talking about Isaiah 11. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the Jewish people in order to show God's truthfulness by making good his promise to the patriarchs and in order to show his mercy by causing the Gentiles to glorify God. And then he goes on to directly quote Isaiah 11. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Yeshai will come and he will arise to rule the Gentiles and the Gentiles will put their hope in him. Believe it or not, all of this actually connects us back to Passover. And the place this is most evident is in the Besorah in the gospel of Luke in chapter two. So this is the story of Yeshua's Brit Milah in the temple, Right? The, re, the commandment of, to redeem the firstborn of the circumcision on the eighth day. And we have a description of two very special tzaddikim, of two very special holy individuals, Shimon tzaddik, Shimon the righteous, and Chana bat Penuel. 
And it says in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, there was in Yerushalayim a man named Shimon. This man was a tzaddik. He was devout. He waited eagerly for God to comfort Israel. And the Ruach HaKodesh was upon him. And it has been revealed to him by the Ruach HaKodesh that he would not die before he had seen the Mashiach of Adonai. Prompted by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Yeshua to do for him what the Torah required, Shimon took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Now Adonai, according to your word, your servant is at peace as you let him go. For I have seen with my own eyes your Yeshua, your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light that will bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Yeshua's father and mother were marveling at these things Shimon was saying about him. Shimon blessed them and said to the child's mother Miriam, this child will cause many in Israel to fall and to rise. He will become a sign whom people will speak against. Moreover, a sword will pierce your own hearts too. And this will happen in order to reveal many people's innermost thoughts. There was also a prophet named Hanabat Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was a very old woman and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and had remained a widow ever since. Now she was 84. She never left the temple grounds but worshiped there day and night, fasting and praying. She came by at that moment and began thanking God and speaking about the child to everyone who was waiting for Jerusalem to be liberated. When Yosef and Miriam had finished doing everything required by the Torah of Adonai, they returned to the Galil, to their own town, Nazareth. Luke, in verse 32, says that this child will be a light that will bring revelation to the nations and a glory to your people, Israel. This is the language of our Haftarah. Even though it's not citing it directly, it's the language of our Haftarah. He goes on in verse 41 to say, every year Yeshua's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Pesach. Not only did this demonstrate the piety of his parents, because they lived in the Galilee, right? Already by the time of Yeshua, most people did not themselves go to the temple every single year. Already by the time of Yeshua, it was customary that because you had to go to the temple, that towns that were not in Jerusalem, but outside, especially a few days' journey, they would send a representative to represent the town, right? And they would bring money with them from the town or whatever in order to purchase the sacrifices that were needed uh, to atone for all of the people. However, Yeshua's parents, it says, even though they were not wealthy, they would go to the festival, it says, every single year. And this is that focus that our Torah portion talked about on the Shalosh Regalim, like the importance of the pilgrimage festivals. Then it was at the end of Pesach that this next part of the story happens that we're all familiar with, where Yeshua was 12 years old and left behind in Jerusalem, where he is found in a deep and engaging discussion with the leading rabbis and leaders and the sages of Israel. We won't go on to read it, but you're familiar with this. And this story takes place following Passover. Our Haftarah reading today from Isaiah 11 
foretold that through the line of Jesse, a branch would emerge, and that branch would be the Mashiach. Isaiah also prophesied and described two key roles that the Messiah would play. That the Messiah would be a sign and a banner for all the peoples of the earth, and they would seek after Messiah. And secondly, Messiah will regather the Jewish people from across the earth and lead us back to our land. This mystery was prophesied by Isaiah. And it's something that remains difficult to understand even today. In how can the Jewish Messiah be for everyone, right? This was the struggle that the earliest followers of Yeshua wrestled with, right? So that there were people who were going around saying, all right, we'll take you in, but in order to be a follower of Yeshua, you have to convert to Judaism, which honestly actually would make sense from their perspective. God is the God of Israel. If you want to be a part of worshiping the God of Israel, you need to be a part of the people of Israel. And it says that this was no small matter. And so we have an entire council, an entire chapter that was devoted to the question of this particular issue. Can a Gentile follow Yeshua without converting to Judaism? And the answer was, yes, they can, right? But it begins by saying this was no small matter. So they brought this issue to the elders and to the apostles in Jerusalem. And they decided what we're all familiar with that no, Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism in order to be followers of Yeshua. However, and this is the part that's lost on most people, is that they were supposed to be in connection and in relationship to the Jewish people. That this was supposed to be a fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about, that somehow, some way, this mystery, that the Jewish Messiah would be for everybody. You understand? I know we think today in the 21st century, as we're sitting here today, this, this totally makes sense. But you have to view it from the perspective of the people who heard this. This is Meshuggah, right? Okay, Isaiah, he maybe says something about this will reach the nations, but you know, it's really for Jews. But that's not what Isaiah says, and it's not what the New Testament emphasizes. That somehow, some way, this mystery has been revealed to us, and we have to figure this out. As difficult as sometimes is practically what this looks like. This was a mystery wrestled with throughout the New Testament, and which re and with the reemergence of the Jewish presence, of a Jewish presence within the body of Messiah, we are still wrestling with what this looks like. That Yeshua is for everybody, right? But Isaiah also says, This is glorious. He says, this is glorious. God's wisdom and understanding, of course, far surpasses ours. Although at times it may not seem like it, we are actually living in one of the most exciting times to be alive, and which we have not seen since the first century. We are witnessing God's fulfilling both of these roles. That yes, God is still moving among the nations, and that is still going to happen, but we are now seeing Jews returning to Messiah in numbers like we've never seen before. And Gentiles continuing to stream toward the God of Israel. We need to never lose sight of the fact that what we do serves a purpose and it's not ours. Although God blesses us and does great things within us, 
The reason why we're here and the reason why we do what we do and the reason why Beth Emunah exists is not to pat ourselves on the back because it's really not about us. It's about God using us in order to reach the world. To provoke Israel to jealousy and to be a light to the nations. That's why we exist and we can never lose sight of that. That somehow, some way, as difficult as all of this seems, we have this call. And as a Messianic Jewish synagogue, we are uniquely positioned in order to be both a light to Israel and a light to the nations. As we've been progressing through Pesach, we've been talking about just how important it is to be working on getting rid of the chametz that is in our lives, that thing which puffs us up, the thing that gets in the way of really going deeper with God. And it's interesting that even in the language that was read earlier from the Torah, this process doesn't end just because Passover ends tonight. Instead, we're supposed to be building up an anticipation towards Shavuot. By using what God started on Pesach, working through the next 50 days, we're supposed to actively count, it says, up to Shavuot. You know, it's interesting that all the holidays, all the Chagim, the festivals in the Torah, have a date. On the 14th day of the month of Nisan, you're supposed to, you know, take a lamb. On this such and such a date, you're supposed to do this. On such and such a date, you're supposed to do that. Guess when, which one doesn't get a date on a calendar? At least the way it's listed, Shavuot. Why? You have to count up to it. If you weren't paying attention and following along, you would have missed it. Yes, now it's a date on the calendar and we know what it is, but the point was, count 50 days and then you're supposed to bring the secondary offering, the second bikurim. If you're not actively counting, if you're not actively looking forward to what God wants to do, then you're going to miss it. You can't, if you weren't counting, you can't look at your calendar and go, oh, this is, you know, this is the date. Instead, you have to be on your toes a little bit. Counting so that you make sure that on the 50th day you're ready to appear before God. This is a lesson for us. It's so easy, all of us do it, myself included, is we take things for granted. We sometimes go through the motions a little bit. Instead of staying on our toes, and this period between Pesach and Shavuot is to remind us we're supposed to be actively engaged, not only in the realities of Messiah, and being a light to the nations and provoking our own people to jealousy. But that we need to be prepared and not lose sight of what all of this is really about. On this last day of Pesach, as we're getting rid of the chametz in our lives, I felt really strongly this morning that we need to do what I call Zichron Mashiach. Basically, we need to do communion as a community. But given that all of us are hungry, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to basically do what we normally do in just a moment. We'll break for our service, you know, do Kiddushan Hamotzi. But then afterwards, I want, after we have uh, Oneg, around 145, when we normally start the classes, I'm going to ask those who are serious about their faith to stick around for just a few extra minutes for us to do a short service in which we remember what 
Yeshua commanded us to do during Pesach. And not just during Pesach, but that this would stick with us on a continual basis. That we would remember the atonement that Yeshua made on this day. Not this particular day, but during Pesach. And we would really take in our hearts what the purpose of all of this is really about. And then we will have the class. Don't worry, this isn't another two-hour service. This is just, you know, 15 minutes or so. And then we'll start the class. I know that, yes, we will have the Torah study today. That's a very important thing, and I don't want to take away from that. I just also feel very convicted that we need to do this as a community. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. On this Pesach, I pray that what you have been doing and beginning to do in us and through us that would only continue to multiply through the next several weeks, the next six weeks or so leading up to Shavuot. God, that you would purge the chametz from our lives and set us on fire. That as Yeshua promised, we would not only be immersed in water, but in fire. That as we count up in, intense, in anticipation towards Shavuot, that we would be anxious and excited and knowing that an encounter with God is coming. It might be, and that encounter might be the big, the bold, the beautiful, but it also might be that still small voice that Moses would have missed if he wasn't being tuned into the Spirit. Whatever it is that you want to do and the encounter that you want to have with us, I know that you want to have that encounter. And so I pray, God, that as we count these days leading up to our encounter with the king, the king of the universe, that we would take this seriously and not treat it as just another year, another holiday cycle, but rather see it as another opportunity to encounter God. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. As I was